Please turn with me in your Bibles to our text this evening, which comes from the book of Ecclesiastes. We'll be looking at chapter 5 and verses 1 to 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 to 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 to 7. Please then hear with me the reading of God's Word. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near, to listen, is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much busyness and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for He has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. And do not say before the messenger, that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. Thus far is a reading of God's Word. There seems to be within... Uh, broad evangelicalism, I think a grave misunderstanding of how the Christian is to approach God in worship. And a part of that grave misunderstanding at its core is a terrible and an infectious error concerning who God is. I think unwittingly, many Christians conceive of God in a way It is actually heretical. Now understand this. I didn't say that they are heretics, but that there is a way in which they conceive of God that is heretical. And its roots can really be traced back to what's known as Marcionism. Uh, Marcionism gets its name from a second century figure named Marcion who belonged to the church in Rome. And Marcion was eventually excommunicated for his belief in God. Because what he believed was this, that the God of the Old Testament was not the God of the New Testament. So that what Marcion did is throw away the Old Testament and cut out parts of the New Testament that he didn't like so that he inevitably created for himself his own Bible and his own vision or image of God which was simply a God who is loving. And there were many people who who were drawn away by this uh, God of, of Marcion's making. But the picture of God at Mount Sinai, right? The, the God before whom His people tremble, was a God, Marcion said, who was not the God of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But it's that idea... And many ideas like it from the past that 
oftentimes find their way into the present, don't they? That's oftentimes how it works. It's not kind of new errors or new heresies that come into the church, but rather, oftentimes, it's just the old ones recycled again. Now today, though, people who have fallen into this error, I'm sure would not make this connection about themselves. Right? They wouldn't say, yes, we believe what Marcion taught. But the question is, how do you practice? Right? What does your practice look like? Intellectually, you can say, I reject that the God of the Old Testament is a different God from the New Testament. But what does your practice say? Right? The way that people are able to approach God and worship so cavalier, I think, says otherwise. An attitude that says, God is my buddy. You know, I'm just coming to, to worship God however I, I feel my heart desires. And I think that God is just going to accept it the way that it comes to Him because He's just pleased whenever I worship Him however I move to worship Him. Right? That idea that people have as they come to the worship of God is a, in a sense, practical Marcionism. In a sense, right, it says that, that, that the God of the Old Testament is a different God than the one in the New Testament. Because He's relaxed His standard of how we are to come into His presence. Right? No more is He strict and to be feared, but rather we can come into His presence spontaneously, casually. Well, brothers and sisters, I submit to you that this is an error that must be condemned as it's an abomination to the God of the Bible who is the same God in both the Old Testament as well as in the New. God of the Old Testament was a consuming fire. Well, guess what? The God of the New Testament is too. We read this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 and 29. There the author writes this, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For God is a consuming fire. And so in verse 1, when Solomon issues this warning to those who would draw near to the temple to worship God, we need to see that this is something that likewise applies to us even today. In verse 1 we read, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they, for they do not know that what they are doing is, is evil. And so, Scripture is very clear, isn't it? That there is an acceptable way in which we are to approach God and worship Him. And then there are false ways. Ways actually that are called evil. Right? There are evil ways in which we can come into the presence of our Lord. And yet, don't we see a sort of shift taking place in these first seven verses of chapter 5? Right up to this point, hasn't Solomon spent a considerable amount of time talking about how everything under the sun is vanity? Right? In fact, in the very opening verses of the opening chapter of, this, of the book of Ecclesiastes, he, he literally says, doesn't he, all is vanity. But now he takes a, a different approach, doesn't he? He does something different here because he knows that there is one area under the sun that is not vanity, and that is the worship of God. But This is why it's so important then, brothers and sisters, to understand how we can rightly approach God in worship. 
so that we do not offend our God who is a consuming fire as we come before Him to, to serve Him and to honor Him and to please Him. And the first way Solomon points out that we ought to approach God is then with our listening ears on, he says, doesn't he? Right? If you want to offer up worship that is pleasing to God, when you come into His presence, make sure that you listen, that you're attentive. And so this will be our first point this evening, that we are to worship God as attentive hearers. We are to worship God as attentive hearers. Now I think maybe all of us must confess that we might have an idea that to, to worship God in a manner that's pleasing to Him, what He really wants from us is a lot of words. right? And what He really wants from us is a, a lot of actions, perhaps even over-the-top actions. But I think about that, and, I, and as I think about it, I say to myself, I think oftentimes there is a, a selfish reason or selfish reasoning behind that. right? Oftentimes, we want to say a lot of words and do a lot of things not for God, but rather for ourselves. Right? We show up to church week after week so that right, sometimes people will see us. And so they, they think that we are right, pious people. Right? Some people uh, come to church for that very reason. Right? Perhaps others come because it makes them feel good about themselves. But we need to see that a lot of words and a lot of actions does not equal a lot of wisdom. Right? The worship of this world is not wise worship, but rather it is the worship of fools. It is foolish worship. Right? This then, in the context of our passage today, is, is really a rebuke of, by Solomon to the Jews who would approach the temple in such a way as, as to be seen. Right, is to do things so that others would, would look upon them. They are much like the Pharisees in Jesus' day, aren't they? Right, the Pharisees in Jesus' day who would, who would do things to be seen, who would pray long repetitious prayers, who would stand on the street corner to pray to be seen by others. Isn't there an appearance of holiness to that though? An appearance of wisdom in doing those things? But we need to see that that God says all of these things are done in vain. Right? God rejects that kind of worship. He rejects the worship of those who would come before Him and not take time to consider who it is they're coming before. Right? He rejects the kind of worship of those who wouldn't guard their steps before they enter into His presence. As I thought about that, even that phrase, to guard your steps, the first thing I thought about was soldiers in battle. I don't know why it came to my mind, but it did. And as I thought about it, I said, when, when soldiers go into battle, when they're on the battlefield, when they're kind of infiltrating some building to find a bad guy, they have to guard their steps, don't they? Because there might be explosives lying around. And to not be careful, to not watch where you're going or watch what you're doing, and if you step on one, what will happen to you? You can die. You'll be killed. Now just translate that over to the text. When we are called to, to guard our steps, how much more are we to guard our steps as we approach an all-consuming God? Right? How much more are we to, to spend time considering and being careful how we are to approach God in worship? 
And it's not as if He hasn't told us, brothers and sisters. Right? He has given us instruction in His Word if we would only study it and listen to it with our ears. But this is the problem, though, is that many people don't like what He has to say about how He demands us to worship Him. They would prefer something else. But we need to, to simply listen to, to God's approach and draw near to Him, listening. In verse 2, we are then told, Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. As believers, I think oftentimes we forget our place. We forget our place. That we are creature. And that God is creator. Right? That He is king. And we are simply His lowly subjects. Right? That He is the superior in the relationship and we the inferiors. Right? Oftentimes we want to come into the worship of God and tell Him how it ought to be done. But remember, or just imagine your, your kids waking up one day and saying to you, Mom or Dad, these are the chores I have for you to do today. This is how you need to take care of the house this morning. And what would we say? We say, no, not in our house. We are the superiors in the relationship. You the inferiors. And God says it the same thing. He is the superior. He will only have it His way. We don't get to tell God how it shall be done in His own house. But also that shouldn't discourage us. But it shouldn't discourage us because worshiping God is a privilege. But we just need to take care in, in the manner in which we pro- approach Him, in the manner in which we worship Him. And He says, that is done with listening. But I also want us to understand that just because we are to come listening doesn't mean that we are to be inactive. When we think of listening, I think oftentimes we just think of mental activity. But the Hebrew word here carries a, a, a more robust, fully-orbed understanding. So that not only are we called to listen, but it's really the sense of listen and obey. right? Listen and do. Listen and heed. So that, yes, God calls us to His worship to say things and to do things, but we first have to come and slow down and stop and listen. I mean, think about it. Who has the more important words to say to begin with? Is it, is it us or is it God? I think we all can agree it is God. This is why in the worship service, He speaks first in our call to worship. That's why He speaks last in the benediction. Yes, we speak to God and answer Him throughout the worship service, but primarily what we are highlighting is the, is the Word of God. It goes forth. It is what is central to the worship of God's people. It's not man's words, but it's God's words that inspire the confidence of the saints, is it not? And so our words are to be few, Solomon says. In God's words, many. In verse 3, he goes on to say, For a dream comes with much busyness, and a fool's voice with many words. The many words of a fool are like a dream how? Well, if you think about it, I'm not sure the last time you had a dream, but oftentimes your, 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 your dreams are filled with all sorts of things, aren't they? Maybe over the top elaborate things. But when you wake up, what happens? You realize they weren't real. They weren't true. Right? This is the same thing with a fool's words, right? 
they're not true. They're not real. Right? God understands the, the worship of, of a fool is not true. This is why it's, it's foolish to think that we can try to uh, deceive God in the sense that we can come into His worship and, and, and worship Him in, in a vain and foolish way without guarding our steps because He, he knows what's in our hearts. This is why in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, we're told that God desires obedience more than sacrifice. Which is why Solomon goes on to say that we must not be quick to make vows to God. The vows he's talking about here would be temple vows. That the Jewish people would come to the temple and they'd make this vow, but these vows were something that were voluntary. Right? They weren't something that were mandatory. If you remember just a Maybe a month or two ago when we looked at, I believe it's chapter 23 in the confession, we looked at lawful oaths and vows, right? So there, there are lawful vows that we can make. But they're not mandatory. We don't have to do it. And so Solomon says, if you choose to do it, if you choose to make a vow, you better make sure that you pay it. A vow would be something like this. Well, if God, if you do this, I will do that. I mean, think of perhaps maybe a parent who has a a child who is suffering from, you know, a terminal illness. You know, imagine what they might say to God. God, if you heal my child, I know I've been a really poor Christian, but I'm going to go to church every Sunday. I'm going to pray three times a day. I'm going to read my Bible every day. If you would deliver my child from this illness. And then not go on once he heals your child and actually pay the vow that you said you'd pay. Right, Solomon says it's it's better than not to make that vow at all than to vow and to not pay. I mean, isn't this what Peter was guilty of? Isn't this what Peter was guilty of? If you remember in Matthew chapter 26, verse 35, Peter says to Jesus, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And he makes that vow to the Lord. And what happens not too long after that? He denies our Lord three times. I like the question that one author said as I was preparing for this evening. He asked this question. He said, is it better to make a hundred vows and fulfill a few or make just a few vows and fulfill them all? Right? I think we all know the answer to that. Right? The wise person is slow to commit themselves to vows. They are slow, not rash to make these vows before the Lord. Why? Because the believer knows that the Christian life is hard enough as it is. Right? Why add more things on top of it that God doesn't even require you to do because to fail to do it, to fail to come through on your end, failure to pay the vow is sin. It's sin. This is why Solomon says in verse 6, let not your mouth lead you into sin. And do not say before the messenger that It was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? Ultimately, though, brothers and sisters, what I want us to see is that this is really an issue of the heart, isn't it? It's an issue of the heart. The one who fails to approach God's house carefully, uh, the one who fails to guard their steps, uh, the one who fails to pay the vow and makes rash vows is the one who does not walk with the fear of the Lord before their eyes. This is why Solomon then says in verse 7, 
For when dreams increase and the words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. Now here is our second and our final point as we look at these cautions that Solomon gives to his people in the manner in which we are to approach God and worship. The first was as attentive hearers, and the second is in the fear of the Lord. In the fear of the Lord. Now, if you recall from Romans chapter 3, verse 18, what are we told there about mankind by nature? There is no fear of God before their eyes. But if this is true by nature of us, how can God ever expect for us to do the thing that He requires? Why does He not just consume us for our defiled worship? God is a consuming fire, right? He is. But the reason why He doesn't consume us, and the reason why He didn't consume His chosen people under the Old Covenant is because He made ways under the covenants by which they could approach Him and not be consumed because of their sin. Right Under the Old Covenant, He established the sacrificial system by which they could approach God right? with their sacrifice. The priest could enter the Holy of Holies even though the priest had to do what? He had to come bathed and, and dressed in the right attire. Right? All things that symbolized the fear that they ought to have had as they approached God in worship because He was holy and they were sinners. But they were able to come to, to God with this sacrifice knowing that as they approached Him in the way that He commanded them, that He would consume the sacrifice and not them for their sin. And now under the Old Covenant, or excuse me, under the New Covenant, He allows us to approach Him, but He has made a new and a lasting way in which we approach Him. And now it is through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone who fulfilled the whole sacrificial system Himself. And so we can approach God and we can draw near to Him because Christ has become the sacrifice for our sin. Right? He, he bore the wrath so that we through faith can now draw near to Him in confidence because we are now those who fear God. And we are those who fear God because now we have been given the ability to know God. And when you know God, you know something about the holiness of God. You know something about the glory of God. You know something about the majesty of God. And it elicits fear amongst the saints. Yet we also, brothers and sisters, know something about the salvation of God, don't we? Which makes us approach Him in fear, but a childlike fear. Right? Just as a, as a son or daughter looks up to their father with awe when they're, when they're little kids, right? so too, that is the same type of fear that we are to have as we approach our Father in worship. We are to stand in awe of Him. In reverence. Respect, honor for Him. And apart from, from Christ, Solomon's words are, are something heavy laid upon us, aren't they? Right? It's heavy because we recognize it's not something that we could ever do, but Christ has, has lifted right, the heaviness of what has been laid upon us and now made us capable of approaching God in worship in an appealing and appeasing manner to our God. And that is with the fear of God before our eyes. If we desire our worship 
If we desire our praises to ascend upward towards God, brothers and sisters, we have to come with the fear of God before us. And you can tell if you have the fear of God before your eyes by the way you worship Him. Do you come listening to His Word? Listening and obeying how He tells you to approach Him in worship? We need to understand that our ability or our confidence to draw near to God in worship is not in ourselves. It's in the death and resurrection of Christ. And with this in mind, knowing that this is what it took for us to be able to approach Him in the way that we do, how could we ever approach God casually or half-heartedly? Especially when God was not casual or half-hearted in the manner in which He saved us. Sending His only begotten Son Right, to, to die for you and I. That we might be able to walk before God in fear. And the fear that we're talking about is not like watching a scary movie. right? But it's fear and acknowledging right, the, the, the character of the One who has called us. And that fear can be the only natural response of those who have been saved. And ultimately it results in worship that conforms to the Word of God, for that is the only worship that can be called true worship. For that is the only worship that God receives and delights in. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We confess, Father, that oftentimes we do not approach You in the manner in which You have called us to. And so we confess our sin and we ask for Your forgiveness. At the same time, though, Father, we are so thankful uh, that You have given unto us Christ Jesus our Lord to suffer and to die for our sin so that our eyes might be opened and our hearts may be awakened to You that we might know who You are and so that we might fear You and be able to approach You in worship in a, in a, a right manner to our Lord. Lord, we pray this day that even after we read a text like this that You would help us to to spend more time considering how we are to approach You in worship, to to spend more time considering uh, what it means to fear God so that the next time we walk into Your presence, we will be sure to guard our steps. We ask all these things in Christ's name we pray. Amen.